Uh, only a little bit jet lagged. I'm not entirely sure. Is this the morning service or the evening service? I don't know. Um, if I say anything heretical, I'm sure you'll forgive me. Um, now that we turn our attention to Mark chapter 2, Mark 2, starting in verse 1, as we continue in our series looking at gospel friendships, how we are better together. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12 of this chapter. If you have a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 837. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could get, not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed in which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes who were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose. And immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying that we never saw anything like this. Amen. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Question for you as we begin this morning. Did you have a best friend as you grew up? Think back to those childhood days. Did you have a a best friend? I did. Uh, We met when we were three and quickly became best friends. We went to preschool together where we uh, colored and played in the sand and I remember punching a kid who threw sand in my friend's eyes. Um, We then went to elementary school together where we laughed too much and got in trouble and uh, rode our bikes home at the bell. Uh, We then went to high school together where we did some studying and learned how to smoke cigarettes. In university, we went again together and we matured a little and dreamt about the life ahead. We've been friends all our lives. We're friends to this day and I think we'll be friends till we die. But my sadness is this, that that is where our friendship will end. Not all friends can be eternal friends. Eternal friendship is our topic for the morning, and I want to consider it by looking at this text, this great story from Mark chapter 2, an historical account of a day in the life of Jesus Christ. This amazing story that tells us about Jesus, a paralyzed man, and the greatest community group the world has ever known. Let's look at it together. Begins in verse 1 where we hear that Jesus is back from a work trip. Word soon, soon spreads and a big 
crowd gathers. Verse 2 tells us that the whole house is packed. Every seat is taken. It's standing room only. They're breaking all the fire codes. Into this context, into this crush of humanity and intensity and sweat, Jesus begins, we read, to preach the word. And wouldn't it have been great to, to have been there, to have Jesus open up the scriptures for us? Well, we trust that he's present this morning and speaking by his spirit through this same word. Well, outside, verse 3 tells us that five men have arrived. Four of them are glistening with sweat in the sun, rubbing life back into tired hands. On the mat lying beside them, we see the cause of their fatigue. A paralyzed man lying there, unable to move himself. Now, can we imagine what life would have been like for a paralytic in the ancient world? This man's whole life has been lived on a mat three, six, three feet wide and, and six feet long. He spent his entire life being cared for by others. Someone has had to feed him and carry him and clothe him and move him to keep him from getting bed sores and clean him when he has soiled himself. He has no money, no job, no influence, no power, no family, seemingly not much of a future. But he does have one thing going for him. See it here? The greatest community group of all time. In verse 4, they realize that they've arrived a little late. And it's a good lesson here. You should always come to church even when you're late, okay? You never know what's going to happen, right? Well, they arrive a little late and the house is packed. They can't even get through the door. So then one of them, you know the crazy friend? You have a crazy friend? Crazy friend who's always coming up with wild ideas. They're the one who suggested you should go skydiving that time, right? Well, that guy has an idea. He says, I've got it. Let's climb up onto the roof and make a big hole and lower this joker straight through the middle. It'll be just like that scene in Mission Impossible. (laughs) And what I love almost more than this wild suggestion is the response of the other guys. Because they should have been like, that's a terrible idea, right? But no, these guys, these are guys like, Perfect! I love it! Let's do it! And so they climb up the outside stairs, no doubt holding the paralyzed man at an alarming angle. And then the Greek tells us that they literally begin to unroof the roof. Unroof the roof. It's an incredible scene. Well, let's go back inside and imagine how the rest of the story unfolds. Jesus is still preaching in this humid hush. I'm sure the congregation were paying rapt attention, but they begin to get distracted by a noise from above. They turn to their neighbor, then they look up and see dust beginning to fall. Then all of a sudden, a hand appears, pulling back the roof until a beam of light flies in from the roof to the floor, casting dust particles dancing in its wake. All eyes look up, all jaws drop as they see now four faces appearing through the hole. Perhaps confused, they turn to their neighbor, giving a quizzical look until the four faces disappear. More noise, more happenings from above, and then all of a sudden, something else appears in view. It's the fifth man, paralyzed, lying on his mat, being winched down and jerking inches right into the middle of the room, right before the Lord. At this point, all eyes turn to Jesus, and we wonder how he'll respond. You know, public speakers tend not to like interruptions, okay? 
It's no accident that Jesus came to earth before there were cell phones. Yeah? The Bible calls it in the fullness of time. Right? Um, you know, what, how, how is he going to respond to this moment? What will he do? Will he give an impatient look or a word of rebuke? All eyes are on him now. But Jesus isn't the least bit flustered. Jesus isn't even a wee bit annoyed. Why? Because he doesn't focus on the things we focus on. Jesus never judges a situation, he never judges a soul by its cover. Instead, he looks past all the commotion, he looks past all the imposition. While everyone else sees dust and interruptions, Jesus, verse 5, sees something else. See, Jesus saw their faith. He looks down on the paralyzed man. He looks back up at him, the the only view he's ever known, looking up at someone from above. Then Jesus turns to him, verse 5, and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. All your mistakes, all your regrets, all of your mess, don't worry about it. I've made you right with God. After he says these things, I'm sure there was silence in the room. But verses 6 and 7 tell us that there weren't, wasn't silence in everyone's hearts. See it there? Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Ah, the scribes, the spiritual giants who are also in the house. Apparently, they arrived on time and got good seats. Um, They are never late to church, and they are never slow to judge. And once again, they've managed to be absolutely right and absolutely wrong all at the same time. Who can forgive sins but God alone, they say. Well, of course, yes, no one can forgive sins but God uh, alone. We can only be forgiven by the one that we've offended. So why does this man speak like that? Why does Jesus speak like he's God? (laughs) Because he is God. Never let anyone tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. Here is a, a profound example where he claims divinity for himself, claiming to have the authority to forgive sins. Now, Jesus can hear their silent complaints. And so, verse 8, we read, Immediately, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Verse 9, Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? This is his response to their complaint. He's saying, You don't think I have the authority to forgive sins? You think that I'm all talk? Well, let me show you. Let me show you that I am God. Let me show you that I do have incredible authority. Verse 10. That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Can you imagine being the paralytic at this moment? He's being asked to do what he knows is impossible. Perhaps every day of his life he'd wished that this could be done, but no, no one knows his condition more than he knows it himself. He's been asked to do the impossible. The lame don't walk, but somewhere within him faith flickers, and when he looks at Jesus, it bursts into flame. And so, verse 12, he rose. <laughs> 
and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. Atrophied muscles become strong and unused joints fill with oil and he stands and he looks at Jesus and for the first time in his life he's not looking from below, he's looking eye to eye. And immediately he obeys Jesus' command. He stoops down, picks up his mat and walks out in full view of them all. His world has enlarged from three by six to as far as his feet will carry him. And so is it any wonder that the passage ends, verse 12, they were all amazed. Well, yeah! (laughs) They were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Overcome. Astonished. Astounded. Their wonder leads to worship. Worship of Jesus, who is without precedent. What a great story. Two takeaways for us, perhaps as we consider eternal friendship. First one, very simple, and at the very uh, heart of, of the gospel message, is that for the paralytic and everyone who is in the room that day, and for me, and for everyone who is in the room today, and for Everyone who has ever lived across time and space. Point one, everyone needs forgiveness. Everyone needs forgiveness. Isn't that a peculiar thing that Jesus says to the paralytic in verse 5? The first thing Jesus does in regard to the paralytic is say, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, we know how the story ends, but try and forget that as, as you work your way through the text. At, point, at verse 5, the story hasn't ended. We're only halfway through. So isn't it strange that this is what Jesus would say? I mean, put yourself on the paralytics mat. You're lying there paralyzed. You've come to Jesus, and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. What are you thinking? You're thinking, oh, well, thanks, Jesus. It's not exactly why I came um, paralyzed? I have a more immediate need right now? And Jesus is saying, no, you don't. No, you don't. He's saying, you think you know the main problem of your life, but you don't. And as hard as this situation might be, you have a most more pressing need. I know you have problems. I know that you're suffering. And I'm going to get to that. And he will get to that. But you need to realize that the main problem in a person's life is never their suffering. It's their sin. The main problem in a person's life is never their suffering. It's their sin. Jesus is saying, I haven't come to paper over the cracks. I haven't come to put a band-aid on humanity. I'm not going to perform some magical miracle so this man can walk and do what? Walk his way to hell? No, I've come to deal with his deepest need, his most urgent need, his most pressing need. Jesus looks down and he sees more than a broken, damaged body. Jesus looks down and he sees a broken, damaged soul. And so... He sees past the physical to the eternal and speaks a word to save his soul. And here's the point for us this morning. However real our struggles may be, and they are real. And Jesus cares about that. We'll get to that. 
However real our struggles may be, whatever we think is wrong with our lives, we have a deeper problem still. Our deepest problem is our sin that separates us from God and an eternity spent with him. Now, on this point, um, we stand on level ground. None of us is any better. None of us are any worse. Before God, we're all the same. We've all made mistakes. We all have regrets. In some ways, all of our lives are still a mess. Everyone needs forgiveness. And if you're feeling the weight of that just now, of past mistakes, of current regrets, of the ways your life is still a mess, if you feel the weight of that just now, Jesus says, it's okay. Can you taste the lightness that comes with the gospel? You no longer need to pretend that you haven't made mistakes. And you no longer need to pretend that you don't have regrets. And in front of everyone, you no longer need to act like your life isn't a bit of a mess. Because Jesus doesn't bring up our sin in order to condemn us. He brings up our sin in order to forgive us. So in response to your sin this morning, Jesus says, Son, verse 5, daughter, verse 5, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. One of our new members, who we welcome this morning, became a Christian two months ago. And in her testimony, she wrote this. I believe Christianity can be summed up in one sentence, spoken to man by God. Let me love you. God already loves us, but we continually resist. We are like angry cats fighting a hug. But he doesn't love us less. To me, grace is letting go and accepting that redeeming love. That's two-month-old Christian gospel theology. And I say, Amen. Amen. God saying, let me love you. Jesus saying, let me forgive you. If we come to him this morning, we'll find that we all must let go and receive his love because everyone needs forgiveness. And in these moments... We, we do that. In these moments, we, we worship. As we acknowledge Jesus, everything that's wrong with me is seen by you. And your response is to forgive it full and free. And I received that from you this morning. And if that's the first time you've ever done that, then no, that's what it means to become a Christian. That's what it means to be saved by him. To realize your need of forgiveness and to receive it full and free. Point one, everyone needs forgiveness. Secondly, uh, second and last takeaway for this morning, if you have received this forgiveness, if you would describe yourself as a Christian, then I want us to see from this text that one, yes, everyone needs forgiveness, but two, everyone also needs a friend. Everyone needs forgiveness, but everyone also needs a friend. Everyone needs a friend to carry them to Jesus. Who's the hero of this story? The answer, always Jesus, okay? (laughs) But after Jesus himself, friendship is to me the most beautiful thing in this text. Our community group who carried their friend to Jesus who did the rest. The paralyzed man is 
paralyzed. He can't get to Jesus without help. His forgiveness and healing are completely dependent on being brought to him by someone else. And if you're a Christian today, it's because somebody carried you to him. Somebody carried you to Jesus. It may have been your parents who raised you to love and know the Lord. It may have been a friend who gave you a Bible. It may have been your college roommate, or a neighbor, or a colleague, or a youth group leader, or someone else. It's worth remembering who these people are, who've influenced us, that we can celebrate them. But here's the point. Everyone needs forgiveness, yes, but to receive it, everyone needs someone to carry them to Jesus. And as we think about friendship, this series of ours, we want to stop and reflect that we all have friends who will never meet Jesus unless we carry them to him first. We all have friends who will never meet him unless we carry him to him first. There are people in our lives who can't make it to him alone, and Jesus calls us to carry them to him. As I look out in our culture, I recognize three types of Christian. And I recognize these three types of Christian also in myself. Okay? See which of these might connect with you. First type of Christian that we often see and we often are is we could call it the Christian that's in the bubble. It's the ostrich of the Christian. Okay? And this is what happens when you um, love your church and part of this church and maybe you send your kids to a Christian school and you've got a great small group and you're friends with uh, great believers in the church but slowly but surely you've found that you don't really have anyone who's a true deep friend that doesn't already know Jesus. Of course you know people who don't know Jesus, but you're not really deep friends with anyone who doesn't know Jesus. You couldn't tell me, for example, when was the last time you had someone over for dinner who didn't already know the Lord? And so, slowly but surely, accidentally buried our heads in the sand so that you don't really know anyone that you're in a position to carry to the Lord. Second type of Christian we often, we often see or we often become isn't the Christian who's in a bubble, but sort of the opposite of that is the Christian who's indistinguishable. It's the chameleon of Christians. So your problem is not disconnect from the world. Your problem is maybe a little too much connection with the world. You're in the world and you're of the world. So yeah, you know lots of people who don't know the Lord and your life is exactly the same as theirs. And so while you know people you could carry to him, you never do carry people to him. Um, yes, the, the, the chameleon effect where you are one person in your workplace and a different person in your church. Easy to live as that kind of Christian too. At times, we all do. But it's, it's the third kind of Christian that we want to be. At MPC, we want to grow into a, a third type of Christian. Not the one who's in the bubble, not the one who's indistinguishable, but we want to be that type of Christian who goes out into the world to carry mats. (laughs) To carry mats. People who have lots of friendships, yes, in the church and good fellowship here, but also outside with those who don't know the Lord and live lives that are themselves compelling and take people to the Lord as we have opportunity to do so. Not in a bubble, not indistinguishable, in the world, but not of it. Going out there in order to carry our friends back home. And we've got to do this because everyone needs a friend to carry them 
to the Lord. So this week, I have one request. I want you to pray one thing this week. This is what I'm trying to do. In asking you to pray, I'm trying to get you to deal with the Lord, not with me. That's a pastor's goal, right? To have his people deal with the Lord. So this week, deal with the Lord in this question and ask him, just pray one thing. Ask him, Lord, who are the people in my life that you'd have me carry to you? Just pray that prayer. Who, who, who in my life would you like me to carry to you? By his spirit, someone will come to mind. You know what? Right now, someone might already be coming to mind. And as we welcome new members today, several of them are new to the faith. All of them were carried by a friend to Jesus who did the rest. And if you'll carry your friend, who knows? We might not just welcome them here, but we'll find that they'll be our friends even through eternity. Next week, we're going to look at this passage again because I love it. And we're going to look at six. Right now I have six. I reserve the right to have seven or five. I'll see what happens this week. Uh, Six principles that help us do this well. In this day, in this culture, how do we actually go about carrying our friends to Jesus? We'll talk about those practicalities next week. This week, let's just pray. Thanking the Lord for the forgiveness we've received and asking him if there's anyone in our lives that he'd like us to carry to him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, there is great joy and delight in stories of redemption. The redemption of the paralyzed man, the redemption of our new members, and the redemption of our own souls. We take a moment, Lord, to thank you for the work of grace that you have done to forgive us from all our sins, all our failures, all our brokenness, uh, even our uh, failures in, in carrying people to you. You have covered them all, and we're grateful. And now, Lord, we take a moment just to pause and, and ask that question. Are there people in our lives that you would have us carry to you? People in our stories who can't make it to you alone, uh, who won't know Jesus unless they're brought, unless they're brought by someone else. Who is it, Lord, in in our lives that you might have us carry this week? And we take a moment to ask these questions in our hearts. Lord, we thank you for the compassion of the gospel that saves us as we are. And we thank you for the courage of the gospel that enables us to live the kind of lives that you call us to. So from beginning to end, we celebrate and rest in your grace, praying it all. In Jesus' name, amen.